David, welcome to Go Deep with Aaron Watson. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I want to start on a very specific moment. April 1st, 2019 was a very important date in your career trajectory, setting you off on the path that you're on now. Can you place us where you were at that point in time and give us a little bit of your psychology on that day? Yeah, so April 1st, 2016, not 16. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> that's okay. No, that's right. No worries whatsoever. So I was in the middle of Ohio in a parking lot getting ready to walk into a physician's office to try to sell medical equipment. And right before I went in, I was kind of stalling a little bit, and I called one of my good friends, Eric, and he lives out of Chicago and is an entrepreneur as well and had a couple of things on the side. And he was one of the few guys that I told absolutely everything to because I had to kind of keep it hush-hush as yeah. much as I could. And we we're talking and just said, I told him, I said, Eric, my day job is starting to suffer because I'm putting so much time into the clothing. And I said, my clothing is starting to suffer because of this damn day job that I have. Yeah. And so we talked and he was just, hang on as long as you can. Don't use the company, use the money as much as you can, leverage what you have. And the moment I hung up the phone, no lie, I had an email in my inbox waiting for me. And I saw who it was from. It was my boss. And then he was emailing the president of the company and my heart just sank. And without even reading it, I kind of knew what was going to happen yeah. at that point. And the email basically said, it was my boss saying, you know, hey, so-and-so to the CEO, he said, here's a summary of David's call log, and here's communication that I had with him via email on these specific dates. And from these emails, David said he was here doing this. Clearly by the call log, he was in New York City. He was in Miami. He was in Connecticut. At that time, I was doing a little tour. I went to New York City, went to Connecticut for the WWE went to their headquarters and everything. And at that point, I just realized it was probably the end of my career as far as a medical sales rep. So yeah. it, was, it was tough, man, because I didn't think that day would ever happen. And I thought that I can do this on the side as long as I possibly could and hustle both of those just because I thought I had a great work ethic. And whenever I read that and I just, I knew what was going to happen, I ended up calling a former boss of mine who was a close friend of mine he was my manager at the position I was at prior to leaving them to go buy a little bit more time. And he just basically flat out said, this is probably it for you. So yeah. I broke down. I ended up crying for a little bit. It was very emotional because I knew what I had in front of me as far as a, a future and an opportunity. And I was on Easy Street, made a significant amount of money at an early age. And I knew that was kind of pulled from underneath me. And then I just kind of had to make that decision. What do I do? You know, do I... I knew no story that I made up would have saved my job. I just knew that was toast. So it was just kind of like, do I find another medical job or do I just roll the dice and just go with it? And my gut told me you could always get another day job. You could figure it out. And financially, you can probably get something comparable to where you were then salvage that and bounce back. So why not roll it and see what we can do? So uh, I called my financial advisor that day and I said, hey, here's the situation. What do I do? I need to pull my money and I want to give this hell and run with it. So it was a very crucial point for me, but it was, man, it was the biggest eye-opening experience of my life because at that point it became 100% dependent on my performance and what I did at that point. So so you were kind of nurturing the fashion business on the side while you're doing the medical device sales. And that is one of the really just kind of pivotal monumental decisions that a lot of people have to make if they been in a corporate role or been in a role as an employee and are trying to make that transition and how they plan that. I've, I've been asked about it a couple times recently. We actually talked in a recent episode with Rachel Reed about this idea that 
how much do you set aside so that you're ready? This, in your instance, it was kind of thrust upon you. Correct. Although to even mention that to your friend, there was some inkling that like the writing was on the wall and you could see something coming down the pipe. But can you speak to where the fashion business had gotten to at that point? And like, was this a, I don't even know if I'm going to pay the bills or, you know, this just means I kind of have to like cut all the excess or kind of just how your next steps looked sure. because of where things stood. Yeah. So the writing was definitely on the wall. So prior to that job that I got let go from, I was at a company for about four years, four and a half years. And that was my big stint in the medical sales where I really started making a lot of money. At the end of that career, walking away from there to, to quit and go to a competitor was very challenging because that was my true family. Those were the guys that built me into who I was and some of the most amazing people that I ever met. So leaving there was very challenging. I knew at that point I had to figure something out and I had to buy time because performance at that company started suffering for not just effort reasons, but also technology changes that we weren't embracing as a company. So it was the perfect storm for the eyes to be on me as far as a performance standpoint. And sales in general, if you don't perform, you don't have a lot of time. Of course. So I just said, okay, cool, let's jump to this next company. And I wanted to buy two years if I could. I ended up getting nine months pretty much at that business. And that was, I think I jumped in October of 2015 to the competitor and then had a great couple months. Then fast forward to January, February of 16, and then that's whenever things kind of started to un unravel. I wasn't able to close deals. I wasn't putting the effort in. So naturally it came to fruition where the sales weren't happening, even though I was doing okay, enough to fly under the radar, but they already knew that I had something on the side going. So I think they just really had that big brother mentality to really dive into what was happening at that point. The writing was definitely on the wall, you know, from that perspective. And my boss started making it harder and harder for me. And I started hating every day more and more. It was to the point, let's have a call at the end of every single day. Let's go over where your business was. And that, I just can't stand that. Like, I'm not here to be babied or anything. But from his perspective, especially now that I have a business, I certainly understand why he had that mentality. Do I think I could have pulled everything a little bit further along the road and done both and still performed? Absolutely. But your point about the pivotal moment, it was crazy because it's the moment that you read about, right, in every entrepreneurial story. And it's the moment that you have to face that decision, what do I do? And I was just at a point where the crossroad to me was like, all right, this is very powerful. So I started working with the WWE in October of 2015. So it was right about the time where I, I made the transition from one company to another. And a couple months after that, early 2016 is when I really started getting into the roster and working with some of the other athletes and celebrities in the organization. So I started building a friendship with a lot of these guys. I'd stay at their houses. I'd watch their kids. I'd take them to the movies. When they come to Pittsburgh, they would stay at my place. So it was, I really felt that it was a great move from a, a relationship standpoint. And our business was growing like crazy. Our first year in business, we did about $180,000 when I was just on the side, you know, doing it by myself. Wow. You know, and each year we've grown substantially on top of that. So from a revenue standpoint, we were growing so much. The bad thing was timing on my end. I paid off a student loan that was $110,000. I wrote a check, paid that off in that year. I ended up building my house in that year. So it was just all these things that I went from having a substantial amount of money to the worst timing to be fired because everything was pretty much write a check, write a check, write a check. Okay, now I'm broke again, making a lot of money, you know, and that's a lot of people don't understand is 
when I was fired and I drained my savings on April 1st, how do you give, how do you make that much money? And how are you broke in six months? So I drained about $160,000. So in theory, if I'm making that much money for three, four years, I should have a lot more than that. Well, you know, then you pay off the loan, you build a house, you do all this other stuff, you pretty much de deplete all of your money. So I, I was certain whenever I drained my money and my IRAs, I was like, okay, cool, two, three years, I'll be fine. And at that point, it was just, man, it was, it was hemorrhaging, you know, because everything that we've done, we had to teach ourselves. I didn't have a mentor that said, hey, here's what you do in the fashion world. I mean, I've had guys, a factory stole $20,000 off me from China. Yeah, there's nothing you could do about that. That's you're dealing with the wild west in China. So you take it as a loss and you learn from it and you grow up, you grow from it. We had a factory early on that we was so unreliable. Product would come in and, and I would deliver it to a client's house and I would have anxiety on the way there because I had no idea if the garment was going to even be close to fitting. Our alteration when I started, our alteration rate was like 75%. Wow. So it's just I knew that I was guaranteed I was going to have to change something. So in the beginning, I sat there and I thought, man, why am I not doing this right? Am I not, am I, can I not figure out how to measure? And it made no sense. For an entire month, we had jacket sleeves being sewn on incorrectly, and I had no clue. So theoretically, your arms naturally, from a posture standpoint, your arms hang forward. So the factory we were using, who was also a newer business at the time, was sewing the sleeves on straight down. So it took us 30 to 45 days. Like, why, why are we not getting this? Yeah. So you start factoring all that stuff in, right? And then I'm out of money on every single reorder because I can't have the client reorder that, right? And a tailor sometimes by matching up the shoulder with the chest of the garment, it's just not doable or fixable and it becomes so expensive. You know, we got from 75% alteration rate down to about 4.5% now. So you can see the headaches, the time that went into that, but how much that's changed and how efficient we are as a company. So now we're at the point where, all right, let's gear it up and see how, how high we can take this. So some people's antennas will have gone up when they talk about you outfitting or living with or watching the kids of these WWE stars. We're going to touch on that and kind of the through lines of your sales skills. But what you're really talking about right now is, you know, this subtlety of how the arm hangs and the implications of how an entire jacket or a piece of clothing might be designed based upon that, the financial considerations that you might have to make of the business. There's a degree as an entrepreneur that you need to have at least a baseline understanding of each skill. It doesn't mean that you are a master of accounting and a master seamstress and a master of marketing and a master of this, that, and the other thing, but you have to develop those kind of baseline abilities to at least know something's wrong or know when you are working with someone competent or incompetent. And it's part of the course of doing business that you start to figure those things out. Can you speak a little bit to like where you have had to most precipitously ramp up your understanding of something going from not knowing how to sew to having your own piece of fashion or understanding manufacturing to, from not having really any sure. understanding at all. Yeah. So, so prior to starting the clothing line, I invented and patented a product called the proper knot, which are interchangeable necktie knots. So that's kind of where all this started. Whenever that product came out, it was one of those things that I contact a lady to make them for me. And she was doing awesome. She kind of helped me develop things, but it would, she had a full-time job. So I would put an order in for three or five once we launched our website and it would take three weeks to come back. And at that point, I knew there's zero chance this can be a business if I relied on somebody else. As, as amazing she was, she just had another life to live. Again, my goal was to make this a full-time opportunity. So I needed to have a good product and understand the product as well. So I just literally went to Joanne Fabrics and bought a sewing machine and 
I mean, I spent time after time on on YouTube just Googling, how do you sew this? How do you do that? And, you know, she kind of gave me like a, a rough course on how to do it. But, you know, for 15 minutes, what can you really learn? That type of thing. So I, I would work during the day and I would come home at night and I would just sew and I would teach myself how to sew. And often I'd be up till three, four, five in the morning, sometimes not even sleep because I wanted to get product out the next day. I, I've always been a big believer in now, 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 right? And I know as a consumer, if I pay for something, I want it now. And and you have that Amazon effect that teaches people and it coaches people, hey, we're next day and soon it's same day delivery. So we're dealing with a customer unique product and the clothing and with the proper not, we had to act as if we were a big business in order to get that product out quickly. So, you know, I spent a lot of time upstairs just teaching myself and being beyond frustrated with it. So we ended up getting that accomplished and found a manufacturer that could produce those, you know, in mass quantities. So my next goal was, all right, to get out of my day job a little quicker, I need a higher margin product because I'm not an SEO wizard. I can't figure this stuff out. We probably couldn't ramp the proper knot up enough. My overhead was expensive because of my lifestyle and making so much money. I lived a certain way. It's a high watermark that it's hard to cut down. Correct. You know, and then I thought, man, if I was 10 years ago, if I started this when I had no overhead, stress-free, right? So it's, you really take it for what it is. I had a, a piece of rental property that I had to liquidate just so I can take some of the assets from that and use that to fund the business. So I made a lot of decisions throughout the process to get to where we are. And a- after the proper knot started getting a little bit of attention, it was just the next thing was, all right, custom clothing. It just makes sense. And I remember seeing a colleague of mine prior to getting let go, and he wore a really unique, you know, suit-pant combination. And I was like, damn, like, that looks pretty cool. So I remember coming home the next week, and I went out and bought something almost the same. And I went out, and I used to work 30 hours a week, 25 hours a week. So I was, you know, some days I'd work a lot, but you had a lot of flexibility to make that kind of money by only working 30 hours a week was awesome. But then I remember when I put that outfit on, I went to a, a region in Pittsburgh, I think it was like the northeast of, of Pittsburgh for my territory. And I ended up working until five or six o'clock at night because I got so many compliments and I just felt good. Yeah. And it made me super confident and I wanted to show off the style. So then the next day I wore the same exact outfit, tweaked it a little bit, and I wore it to like the southwest of Pittsburgh in that territory. And it was the same thing. So it, it made me, by what I looked like and how I felt, it made me want to work harder. And I was like, man, that's pretty damn crazy. So then I started thinking about it. I was like, man, the top doctors I work with dress the best. The top sales reps that I work with dress the best. So all these things started clicking to me on how powerful fashion is and how powerful presentation is, especially in the world we live in where it's a look at me world and perception is reality world. And social media is making it that way. And everywhere you go, you're judged without opening your mouth. You have two, three seconds to kind of make a statement of who you are And you can predict or educate people on your life and your success by how you look, whether it's factual or not. So it's kind of crazy the level of power that styling and fashion can provide. And that's been the craziest and most exciting, rewarding portion of what we're doing is helping people understand that. And there's nothing better than when somebody never has anything custom built for them. They put it on. You could see their eyes and it just clicks to them. They're like, wow, like, damn, this is what it's supposed to look like. You know, so through that process, when we started the clothing line, I started selling clothing to friends. You know, I'd mark it up 30 bucks, 50 bucks. I was like, all right, cool. Let's try to get free or inexpensive suits that I could wear. And then it just kept catching on and catching on. And then I got into, you know, Titus O'Neil with the WWE. Somebody reached out, you know, and, and introduced me to him. 
So we started building a friendship and I pretended like I had a business and I pretended like I, I knew what I was doing. And the first night we met, he purchased 10 suits off of me. So I met him in Pittsburgh. It was in October of 15. And this was even before I opened up my business account. It's when I was kind of messing with friends and family to sell them clothing. And I, I knew it was an opportunity that if I nailed it, it would be huge for down the road because it was my first true celebrity. Yeah. And I messed every suit up. He bought 10 of them and they all came back wrong. Right. So that goes back to the whole inconsistency with our manufacturing. Yeah. I thought it was my fault. Right. So at that point I made 10 suits incorrectly. So I had to rebuy them. So right out of the gate, I lost, I broke even essentially on, on that sale. Right. So just to be clear, it came in and you could tell it was wrong or you took it to him and it was wrong. So I shipped it to him because by the time it came in, I shipped it to his place in Florida and he tried it on and it, to me, it looked really, really good, but obviously the client has their perception on what it is, Okay. and it didn't fit the way that he wanted. So I ended up buying 10 more suits and take care of that. I sent it down again, and 10 more don't fit. So at this point, I'm like, man, what's going on? I, I'm working with other clients, and it's working, but it's not working as much because yeah. the durations and all that stuff. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let me buy 10 more. Buy 10 more, all wrong. So then I had this stupid but brilliant idea at the time was like, just order one make sure it fits, and then roll the dice and get the other ones in. And yeah. that's that was kind of what sparked me to learn that. So it's like those things were so challenging, and every excess dollar that I had at the point when I was working was going towards my clothing for mistakes like that. And I look back, and it, the best thing that ever happened at that stage was making all those mistakes because it was a quick education. If If it would have been smooth, it would have been, you know, the bigger issues would have followed eventually. And one of the reasons that I just so love talking with people who are like in the weeds, in the middle of that building phase, and it's not the look back, it's you're in the sure. thick of it right now, is that there's so many of those like simple little lessons that like when you explain buying one instead of 10, there's someone who's like, well, no doy. Yep. But what a lot of this process is, it's like there's... 20 tiles on the floor and each one of them has a little simple lesson on it but you can't see all of them because you are trying to do so many different things and bounce and spin keep so many different plates spinning that even flipping one over and getting that one little unlock it's so powerful it helps you so much you feel it so viscerally that it's like seared into your memory like oh i'll get one instead of ten like you can remember that moment where the unlock happened and recognizing that that's par for the course. There is literally no life hack around it. Maybe someone can give you a piece of advice and that helps, but a lot of it has to be uncovered yourself. Yeah, that's so that's an interesting thing. We're going through some stuff now with our business and you know people coming and going and all that stuff. And the trust in yourself has to be there first and foremost. And if you are building a business or building a brand and you're too good to be in the weeds, you're never going to make it. Uh, because then you're relying on somebody else that has all the power to know what's happening throughout the process. And as I've built this brand and continue to build what we have, I want to be so involved in everything because it's an educational experience in different levels, right? So not just clothing, but getting better as a person every single day, learning the business every day. It's a constant education. But what I've discovered is those issues where you learn, hey, one suit instead of 10 suits, is such a valuable part of the process because, again, it, it gives you the full understanding and it gives you the full know-how of what mistakes happen that could have killed your business. So that can never happen again, right? So then as I hire and as I bring on other people to work and help out with the brand, I know this is how it has to run. 
not, hey, this is how it's supposed to run because somebody told me. No, this is why it needs to happen the way it is in order for us to make money and be successful. So despite these mistakes and errors that we've had along the way, they are what we needed to happen so we can scale the business. And there's a couple of scenarios that have happened where if we were 10 clients bigger at that time, we would have been bankrupt or we would have failed. It was that close early on. And we're still growing like crazy and cash flow is king, but we're growing at such a crazy, scary pace that we have to monitor everything because we're growing so much. One issue could really hurt us. Absolutely. So on that front, ramping up sales or even like almost a way that you said it, not intentionally, but as like a throwaway. And the first night we met him, he bought 10 suits. You have a background in sales. You sell medical devices, other sales roles. That is to some degree your bread and butter. I mean, it's clear just even how articulate you are in this podcast that you're good at communicating with people and conveying something to them. What goes into selling these suits? Like if you're coaching someone up on getting clothes on other people's bodies, how do you do it? Everything. So the one thing I think I'm very fortunate is when I was in sales, 80% of my income was commission. 20% is what I lived off of. Whether, you know, I had sales trainers, I had technicians that I worked with. At the end of the day, they got paid whatever happened. It didn't matter. If that sales trainer went in there after I sold a piece of equipment and did a shitty job at training, then I'm the one that loses out because that doctor's unhappy with that. The staff is unhappy with that. So often I would have to go in and I would have to do another training or I would have to do this. Same thing with a, a repair. If my repair technician couldn't get there for three or four days, like doctors want now, now, now. Like I just spent $100,000 with you. How is this down, right? So then I would go in there and I would get on the phone with the technician. Hey, how do I change this? What can I do? So you realize in sales, it's you're everything. You're the seller, the trainer, the repair person. You're the customer relationship person. And I have realized that two things are very powerful when you're trying to grow a business, right? And that's number one, first and foremost, is the passion that you have. And I think people gravitate towards when you're excited, right? Because they buy, they're buying into what you're trying to tell them to buy or explain to them why it's a benefit if they bring it to their into their life. And I've always lived the mindset, like I'm not like a pushy sales guy. You know, I've never ever would have been a number one sales guy in medical. I was always a top sales guy. But I never lived the borderline of, hey, I got to be a little bit pushy. I just, it wasn't my style. I left a lot of money on the table by having that mentality, but I was happier doing it the way that I was. So you think about that capacity. And then obviously you have to have a product that you really, really believe in. And I think our product is second to none. I've tried the biggest brands in the world. I've looked at all of our competitors. I've purchased product from them. And I don't think they even come close to what we offer. So when, when you talk about the building of the brand and, and when I have conversations with them, it's you just have to be confident in what you're doing. And the other end of that is if there's an issue or a mistake, fix it. And don't push it on anybody else. Don't find an excuse. I will take a loss every single day to make sure my client is happy uh, because that's what you should do. And not everybody operates business that way. Everybody kind of handles things differently. But if in the heart of hearts, you know that, something could have gone a little smoother, or if it could have went a little bit differently, that client will, even if they are so mad at you, they will buy off you again and they will support you. And that's happened before where we went through a situation that got really, really ugly in um, end of 2017 going into 2018. And I rolled the dice with our second manufacturer and our first manufacturer spoke no English. So I was figuring out how to build a business basically in the Chinese language. 
And we couldn't have a phone call with them because I just couldn't understand them. I had no idea what I was agreeing to. And everything we did was via email or via Skype text. So this fast forward to our second manufacturer, after all these headaches that we were having, I just was like, man, we need to get something else because I'm just drained at this point. Nothing is going right. So we get this other guy, another Chinese company, and the gentleman spoke very good English. He wows us with the presentation of his product. He sends me a free suit. Well, so I get that and I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it. Let's switch all of our business. Uh, stupid me. Again, another learning mistake. No, don't ever, ever commit like that until you test and try that product immensely. So this gentleman basically from October of 17 through call it January of 18, uh, which isn't that long ago, right? We would basically send orders to them and we would get the product, order a product. And I'm like, all right, cool. Then we're like not getting invoices. So I'm like, something's happening here. So China shuts down pretty much for the entire month of February for the Chinese New Year. So we knew going into this, like, hey, from learning from the first year, it's going to take six to eight weeks to get product because the Chinese New Year shuts down, everything gets backlogged. So we run with this second factory all through October, November, December, all the way up till February. So we take orders. We had our biggest month ever, February of 18. And so the end of February happens and, you know, March 1 comes around. So I email the factory, you know, hey, can we get an update for client so-and-so, client so-and-so? We had a big list. Nothing. Next day comes. Hey, man, like, I need some information. Just, I know you guys are just getting back. Let me know as soon as you can. Five, six, ten days later, you're now talking middle of March, and I have no answer. I'm getting call after call from clients. One of my one of my colleagues that just hustles his ass off, Alvin, same thing. He was taking the blunt end of everything, and we had nothing to say to the client. Like, we had no— We're was, dark. Yeah, it was just purely—it it became, hey, I'll get back to you tomorrow. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And then it just became like, you're clearly not getting back to me. What's going on? Did you steal my money type mentality? Yeah. So we just said, listen, let's pause the sales and let's just go on customer support, client rehab, basically, and salvage what we have. So we just went and said, here, here's the problem. Here's what happened. We made a mistake by rolling the dice with this manufacturer. Oh, we're sorry, right? And that's all we could do at that point. So we start now, middle of March, we get a response from the manufacturer, finally. The gentleman says something to me along the lines of, hey, your invoice is now like, it was like 23 grand or 24,000. And hey, we're not sending any more product until you pay the twenty four thousand. So I'm like, holy hell, we don't, you know, we don't have that money just sitting there. We're growing so much, we're spending it, we're marketing, we're doing this. We don't have that kind of money just sitting there. So we start going into this panic mode, and we start, you know, slowly chipping away at the invoices. Five grand, ten grand, you know, we still nothing. He's like, you got to pay it all off. So I pay this one invoice off, and then I look at the name. I'm like, that name looks super familiar. I was like, I could have swore I already paid that. So I go back and I look at it. I'm like, damn it, I already paid this invoice. Why is he sending it to me again? So all he did was send a huge, massive invoice with the name and all this stuff and the garment. Well, what I found out he was doing, and I believe he operates this way, is he, he builds a scare tactic and do what he does. Again, you can't do anything with China. They do whatever the hell they want to do. So this gentleman, I think what he did was he just started masking a bunch of things. So I, was, I realized I was paying $100 more per suit, $200 more per suit. $20 here and it added up to the substantial amount of money that he was pretty yeah. much stealing from me. And so it, again, all of our profits just get sucked back into the company. Wow. Another life lesson, right? And um, fortunately I was introduced to another manufacturer 
they have been our bread and butter for the last eight, nine months. And that's the company, you know, we went from 75% alteration down to four and a half percent. And that was a scary situation because, you know, then you, I start getting people on social media slamming me that all you do is travel and drink and have fun with all these celebrities. And I'm in Florida, I'm in LA. Meanwhile, I stopped drinking two years ago because I just, I couldn't afford it. And then also I couldn't give up a day of being able to be sober and functioning, right? So I, I was seven days a week and I just couldn't commit to not working seven days a week at the time. Did you ever think about quitting at any point? Every day. Every day. Every single day. Yeah, it's, you know, you, what I've taught myself is that as great as the platform can be, the downside of it is 10 times worse. And I've trained myself to ignore everything, right? So a lot of people say, do you, like, do you realize what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, we're just building a business. Cool. No, like you guys are doing some amazing stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. But we have a business to grow because I've realized that I'm in the weeds and I know how far I want to take this. I want to take this to a $50 million company, a $100 million company, and we're going to. Um, and we have a long way to go to get that point. But when I've finally learned to love the process, and I know that's such a cliche term, but every successful entrepreneur says that. And I, I love the challenge of this is falling apart, this is falling apart, this is falling apart. How do I fix that? And how do I grow from that? And I mean, there every day it's, man, this isn't going well. This And, and it th- things happen in threes too. So you know if something's going to happen. I just dealt with this the other last week. You know, you run into some people that are not as good as they portray. And so those things happen. And there's so many sides of business that on the surface, you never have any understanding until you actually try to build something and create something. But uh, I trust myself that whatever's happening is meant to happen. I trust myself that I'll get through it with the team that we have around us and we work together to do so. But man, there's days where it feels like someone's holding you underwater and hand around their, your neck and they're just holding you and holding you and holding you. And it's a paralyzing feeling, man. But whenever you break through that. And whenever you find success in what you're doing, there's no better feeling. So it's that addiction to getting through something that you can't really explain until you do it. And a lot of the times I have people that reach out to me, you know, hey, what do you do for fun? Or what do you do for this? I'm like, I work. Like I work seven days a week. And if I'm not working and I'm sitting at home watching TV, I want to work because I love what I do so much. And I don't have a job, man. I, I work 90, 100 hours a week. Love it. And I wouldn't change it. So the inside baseball is we're recording this. I think it goes out like two weeks later, but this is MLK Day. Yep. And like I drove down the highway today and it's usually packed with cars. No one's on the road. And we got into our first meeting together. And my first thing was like, I love that I know that no one else is working today. Like that's my edge is I showed up today when other people didn't. And so I completely resonate with that sentiment. You know, that's funny you say that. So like this is this was last St. Patrick's Day. I was driving in the South Side. I was going up 18th Street, and I was I was driving to my house from the. I was getting coffee or something, and you know, as I'm driving up this hill, I see everybody in green, right? And they're walking down the hill. They're down the hill, and I'm talking swarms of people. And I remember, I don't know why I thought this way. I'm like, all right, so I'm I'm at the bottom of a hill, and I'm trying to drive to Mount Washington, where I live, the top of the hill. And I'm passing the crowd of people, what society is doing at this point, and they're all going down to drink, to party, to hang out, right? And I'm going against the grain. And I'm going against the grain to try to get the top of a mountain. And that was like such a stupid but like powerful visual that I had. And it's the same thing. And there's nothing wrong with 
doing that. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, hey, if you're off today or doing that. So I get what you're saying is like, you have to have a very rare mindset to this stuff. And I always look at it like this. This is the analogy I try to use is when you're a, a kid and you're growing up and you're in elementary school, all this stuff, what do you want to be when you get older? I want to be this. I want to be that. Dream as big as you can dream because you can do anything. And then as you get to high school, don't you think you want to do something a little bit more realistic? No, no. Like if I want to be the president of the country, I guarantee you I could have done that. I really believe in myself that much. If I want to be CEO of this or that, like there are certain things, you know, that you just physically can't perform or do. That's fair. But there's other ways to get there. And I, I think it just truly starts with a mindset and living with optimism. And everything that happens in your life pretty much is a challenge. Like you can't control anything. If you think about it, you really have a, your, your mood and your mindset is really all you can control. And if you let all these outside influences hurt that, then there's a big problem. And my buddy sent me a text. This is one of my closest friends. And we talked for two years, we talked business. And we're, now we just started a digital marketing firm together this January. And so him and I were talking and he's like, do you realize that the earth has been around for four and a half billion years? And he said that it was really funny. He said something along the lines of we're literally all together on a rock that is shooting around a ball of flame, right? And the amount of time that we've had on earth is a nanosecond to how long earth has been around. But yet you have people that get so worked up over their sports team losing or credit card debt or bills. Or a, a bad hair day or a bad weather day. Anything. And it's like, take that and run with it. Who cares? Like, it is what it is. Everybody has issues. And it's just how do you let those issues impact your life? It's mindset is absolutely everything in life in general. And, and I just fully believe that, that that can change. By the way you look at life can change your life. Totally. And I think the I love the metaphor of going up the hill like that when everyone else is coming down. But another aspect of it is... And once again, it's it's all about interpretation is recognizing that if someone else wants to get into your industry or my industry or one of these other spaces, recognizing that that is the mindset of all your competitors and you have to, at the very least, match, if not supersede their mindset. So not taking for granted, it's like, yeah, you were going up the hill and those people were coming down, but those people coming down the hill aren't actually who you're really competing Correct. with. You're competing with the other people who are climbing and you have to even crank it up a, a notch further. Yeah. That, well, that's, so that's interesting too. Like I... I talked to a lot of people when I started the business and they're like, man, you're getting into a pretty competitive space. Like, cool. Like, you sure you want to do that? Yeah. I'll just be better than everybody else. Like, and I'll be better than them by how hard I work. I'm not the smartest. I'm not the brightest. I don't know business better than everybody. I think I have a pretty good grasp on everything, but I can tell you right now, I have a disgusting desire to be successful. Um, and I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. So again, it comes down to controlling what you can control. And I can tell you right now, there's not a competitor of ours in, in the city of Pittsburgh that's even coming close to what we've done in a short amount of time. And and I don't mean that arrogantly. I just, I look around and, and visualize. And one of our competitors, this was two years ago, they've been around, they have a downtown location. They've been around for, I don't know, 50 years or 60 years or something. And I have a friend that was, te was talking to the owner of the company and he makes a reference and says, this is, so two years ago, I bought a, a Mercedes Sprinter van. And I ripped out the seats and I put hardwood flooring in there, a 55-inch TV, a bar, and a changing room. So I made like a mobile showroom. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so we were just trying to create an experience, not just purchasing clothing. So fast forward a year later after having that, the owner of this competitor of ours makes a comment and says, 
do I have to worry about the idiot driving around in a van all day referring to me? And I'm thinking, man, you already lost, brother. Like you have, you are so out of it. And the amount of revenue that I, we're doing in a majority is in Pittsburgh. I know we're sucking the life out of a lot of our competitors. And also on LinkedIn, it tells me who views my profile and I get a lot of our competitors taking a peek. So it makes me want to just continue to do what we're doing. And, and that's why we also give back so much that we built the business off of helping other people. And I believe now more so than ever, the more you give, the more that comes back to you. But worst case scenario, if nothing comes back, you should feel pretty good about helping other people. So there's so many different mindsets that I've had through growth of being an entrepreneur and, and learning about life, about business in general that have helped. Without a doubt. That is a powerful note to wrap up on. I feel like we could literally just record for like three hours and probably fill the time. So I'm going to definitely put in the request now for a round two sometime down the road. And thank you so much for making the time here on MLK Day. Uh, people who want to follow along, learn more, you mentioned LinkedIn. What are all the digital coordinates that we should be pointing people Yeah, so, so all of our, my side is like an entrepreneur, fashion, whatever is uh, at, at David Allen style. And I try to keep everything there. And then we have David Allen clothing as well. And Allen is spelled A-L-A-N. So a lot of people get that confused. So Instagram and Twitter? Yeah, it's all the same for that stuff. Yep. Beautiful. We're going to link that all in the show notes. Goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast is the place to find it for this and every episode of the show. You can also check out the app. We are probably listening to this right now and get all those links as well. But as we do at the end of each conversation, David, I want to give you the mic one more time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Yeah. So this actually is interesting timing. About two weeks ago, I, I spoke at an event in Pittsburgh for the PCMA, which was their national conference. So there was about four or 5,000 people there. And then I got to speak on a side stage and the topic was disruption and delivery. And I guess what I always try to leave or help people understand is in your life, there's going to be disruption after disruption out of your control. And the key on that is how can you deliver after that? So I would just recommend anybody listening, just take, take your life, think about things that happened, good, bad, whatever it is, and learn from that, grow from that and figure out how you can deliver on the other end of that. And, and it's more or less a, a personal goal or challenge because I do believe once you figure out how to handle disruptions properly, your life becomes that much greater. And it's a pretty easy mindset to have. Beautiful. And it's repeatable. It can be applied to any situation. Literally everything. Awesome. Once again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you for having me. We just went deep with David Allen. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day.